Reading our scripture this morning will be Caroline Hunick and James Canis. Our scripture reading this morning can be, comes from Luke 11, 1 through 13. This can be found on page 1613 in your pew Bibles. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. The one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him bread because he is his friend, Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And him who, no and him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ, what is prayer? What is prayer? How would, how would you answer that question to begin with? <clears throat> I, think, I think there are probably some of us here who would have, um, let's say, a rather formal definition, maybe a, a theologically correct definition. Some of us might have a rather pious-sounding uh, answer to what prayer is all about. But I have a feeling that many of us would say that prayer is about asking. It's about asking for things. It's, uh, it's about sending up our laundry list of needs to God in heaven and hoping, hoping that He'll answer at least a certain percentage of those requests. And then we might wonder what it is that we would have to do to up the percentage, right? to be a little more effective in our prayers, to get a higher return on our efforts. And, and friends, there's good reason, I think, for believing those kinds of things about prayer. Most of the examples of prayer that we have around us are examples of exactly that, examples of asking, right? Examples of asking. 
For instance, uh, maybe you've heard prayers like that or even uttered prayers like that already this morning. Lord, give us a good day. Lord, give me good health. Lord, give me you kind of fill in the blank. We do the blank. We do a lot of asking. And then even our text this morning seems to speak of prayer in those kinds of terms, as if prayer is about asking, right? It's about asking for bread at midnight. It's about asking for a fish or an egg. It's about seeking and knocking, right? It's about asking. Many of us are are familiar with the author uh, Eugene Peterson. If you were here in the fall, we studied the book of Revelation and we studied one of his books called Reversing Thunder or Reversed Thunder. Well, he actually has written, he's written a lot of books, okay, but one of the other books he's written is called Answering God. And he titled it by that title because that's his view of prayer, that in prayer, it's not the fact that we are just asking for things. In fact, he puts all of prayer in the category of what we're actually doing is answering God, answering God. Now, why, why would he think that? Well, Theologians like John Calvin and more modern Tim Keller will will tell us the same thing. And what they say is that it's God who actually speaks to us first. God is primary. We always respond to God. First, God reveals himself to us. Okay, he speaks first. Calvin uh, terms this the, the divinitatis sensum the awareness of the divine. He says we're all created in the image of God, and part of what that means, being created in His image, is that we're created with the ability to relate to God. Okay? We have an awareness of God, and we're created with the ability to relate to Him. We're designed for that. Similarly, Romans 1 teaches that that when we look at the world, when we look at the world outside this building, we can come to the logical conclusion that some great power created and sustained this world, right? Some great power that, that we term as God. And so we've got this vague notion in our being, in our minds, that there is a God outside of us. And so what happens when we find ourselves in a time or a place of trouble or crisis? What do we do? We cry out to this being for for help. We cry out for help, okay? So that, that primal understanding that there is a God out there, it manifests itself, it surfaces in the act of of prayer as we cry out for help. As we said last week, it's like, it's like sending an emergency flare up into the sky and hoping that someone somewhere is going to see it. That's our view of prayer. But the point here is that it's always God who speaks first and our prayers are actually responding to what we know of God. They're answering God in some way, shape, or form. Now, if that's true, then I think we have found a key for how our prayers can perhaps become more meaningful and more effective. You see, our prayers will become more meaningful as our knowledge of God grows. See, our prayers are 
they're, they're in direct proportion and relation to what we know of God. So that the more we know God, the more we understand who God is, the more our prayers are going to reflect that, the more they will actually be answers to the revelation that God gives us about Himself. Our response to God will grow in direct proportion to our understanding of who God is and to the words that He speaks to us. Now, I think that can be helpful as we begin to try and understand this text in Luke chapter 11. Because Jesus' teaching here on prayer, as I said, it does seem to be a lot about asking. It's, if, it's as if Jesus is, is straight out teaching us, hey, prayer is asking God for things. And we get that, first of all, right? He teaches us the Lord's Prayer. What is the Lord's Prayer? Well, it's a lot of requests, right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us our sins. And then Jesus goes on and he gives us these two accounts. Some people call them parables. One as a friend asking another friend for bread at midnight. And then there's a story about children asking their father for food. And then at the end of this text, we get what I think is one of the great bait and switches in all of Scripture. It's the bait and switch of prayer, where Jesus says, you know, a child asks for, um, for a fish, what father is going to give him a snake? Or if you ask for a, an egg, no father is going to give you a scorpion. And so when you ask, the father will give you the Holy Spirit. And you kind of look and you listen to Jesus and you say, hold it, Jesus, what did you just do? Because we were talking about food I was hungry, and I was asking for something to eat, and you gave me the Holy Spirit. You see, this text is, is not all that easy to understand. It's really not. And so we have to ask ourselves, what, what is going on here? What is Jesus actually teaching us about prayer? So maybe what we ought to do is go back to the beginning, right? Like we said last week, let's try to put things in context. And the context here is that Jesus is praying. One of his disciples either hears him praying, sees him praying, and asks if he will teach all of them to pray. Now let's start there. What do you think it was that prompted this request? What made this disciple think, I want Jesus to teach us, to teach me how to pray. What was it about his praying that made this disciple think, you know what, I've got to learn to pray like that. I've got to learn to pray like that. I suppose it could have been about the bottom line, right? When it comes to prayer, a lot of us think about the bottom line. Maybe it was Jesus effectiveness in prayer. I mean, if you're in business, right, and, uh, and Jeff Bezos is going to be in town and he's going to be speaking, you're going to be there, right? You want to hear what this guy has to say. Why do you want to hear it? Or, or let's say you're a writer and Margaret Atwood is, is speaking down at the Wisconsin Center or something like that. Are you going to go? 
Yeah, you probably will, but why? What do you want to learn from those people? Do you want to learn how to make more money? How to write more successful stories that people are going to read? Why is it? And why do these disciples, why do they want to pray like Jesus? Well, do you think it's all about the bottom line of prayer? Do you think these disciples want to pray like Jesus because they look at Jesus and they say, you know what, he gets everything he asks for. I want to be able to pray like that so that I can have everything I ask for too. I mean, think about it. We think, in term, we think of prayer in those terms, right? We think about getting things and, boy, here Jesus says, you know, ask and it will be given to you. And I don't know about you, but my mind goes places, right? And I think, wow, think about that kind of power. Think about that kind of life. Ask and it will be given to you. I mean, a nice new Lexus, a home on the lake. Maybe it's just a later curfew, right? So you can stay out with that, that boy that you really like. What is it that you think Jesus can offer here, that Jesus can teach us to pray is there, is there a secret that Jesus is willing to give us here that might be the secret for how I actually get everything that I ask for? And then, <clears throat> well, we hear this, this story, right, about this friend at midnight. And you think, well, maybe this is the key because this friend prayed with, with boldness and so maybe that's what I have to do. I've got I've to pray with more boldness to God. I've got to bother God with my requests. And then, and then maybe he'll give me whatever I want. Maybe that's what was so attractive about Jesus' prayer. But let's, let's just think about that a moment. <clears throat> is that what Jesus is trying to get across? That, hey... Whatever you ask for, that's what's going to be given to you. And, and just look at my life as proof of that. Right? The disciples probably looked at Jesus and they saw his fat wallet and they thought, man, what a life. Right? And they probably, you know, looked at Jesus' fancy designer robes and the swoosh on his sandals and they thought, man, wouldn't it be nice to dress like that? And they looked at his big fancy yacht that he took out on the Sea of Galilee every now and then and the steak dinners and wine that he had. His disciples said, you know what? Man, that's the life I want. I've got to learn to pray like Jesus. Is that what happened? Foxes have holes, said Jesus. And, and the birds of the heavens have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. As far as we know, Jesus was homeless. As far as we know, he, he didn't know where his next meal was coming from. Not so sure that it was all Jesus' stuff that attracted the disciples to his prayers, that they wanted to pray like him. But then the question comes up, all right, so what was it? 
what was the attraction? Why did they hear Jesus praying and say, Jesus, you need to teach us? Well, let's, let's think again about the context here, okay? The very first word that Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, what is it? It's Father. He said, here's the address. This is where you're sending your prayers, Father. Where does this text end? It's a story about children asking their father for things. Maybe what Jesus is saying is, okay, the first thing you need to learn about prayer is that it's about a relationship. It's about a relationship. Maybe that's what the disciples saw and heard in Jesus' prayers, that there was an intimacy there with God, an intimacy that they could have never imagined or ever thought possible. Maybe that's what they saw and they said, that's what we need. Can, could we really, you think, be that close to God? Jesus says, when you pray, act like you're having a conversation with your dad. Now, now that was pretty radical stuff, right? There are a couple of instances in the Old Testament where you know, ordinary people refer to God as, as their father, but there are not many of them, okay? This was a radical thing that Jesus would, would talk to common, ordinary dis disciples, and he would say, okay, when you pray, I want you to address God as your father. That was an extraordinary thing. And it goes far beyond anything that anyone could have expected. I mean, Jesus telling us that we should view ourselves as children of God. This is what Jesus is teaching us. The first thing about prayer is this is about relationship. And friends, when you think of relationship, it changes everything. It changes everything. I mean, let's, let's take a look at this text again with, with that in mind, that this is about, about relationship, okay? If Jesus, or if the disciples had just heard Jesus praying to his Father, all right, and then the moment after that, Jesus teaches them how to pray, how do you think they would have felt about praying about actually practicing what he had taught them. Think of it this way. Let's say, let's say Rory McIlroy <clears throat> is in town and he's, you're, you're out there on the golf course with him. Maybe you're watching, you're observing. He's just hit about 20 tee shots, right? And, um, and, and then he says, hey, you need any advice on your tee shot? And so you go over there and he, he gives you instruction for about 20 minutes on how to, how to hit a decent tee shot. And then he steps back and he says, all right, why don't, let's, let's give it a try. Go ahead. How are you going to feel about that? Like, well, I suppose there are some people who say, oh, I'm going to give it a whack. I can hit it just as well as he can. But I think most of us would be like, oh, could you come back in about a month? And let, let me practice this a while. Let me, let me take a shot at what you've just told me. And, and then I'll give you a call when I think I'm ready to have you know, have you observe. 
How anxious do you think the disciples were to start praying right in front of Jesus? I mean, they've just heard him, the master prayer, talking to his father, probably at length. And then he teaches them how to pray. You think they were real anxious to say, okay, let's, let's give this a try. Jesus, listen. Listen to what I've got. Give me your critique. I would have thought, Jesus, there's no way I'm praying in front of you. <clears throat> there's no way I'm praying in front of you. But how is that a relationship question? That's more of a content question, isn't it? I might be embarrassed. I might not do the right thing. I might not say the right thing. Um, think about how you pray the Lord's Prayer sometime. See if this applies. Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, or he taught us to pray using the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> In other words, when Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, he wasn't saying, okay, now the rest of your lives, I want you to pray this prayer word for word for word. It's not what it was meant to be. The Lord's Prayer is more like an outline. It's a guide. Jesus gives us categories to pray. So pray, hallowed be your name. That's one category. Pray, your kingdom come. That's another category. Pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's another category. Pray for your daily bread. That's another category. Now, that's a category that we seem to get, right? Anyone here pray for more than bread on a daily basis? Do you pray for other groceries? Maybe some milk to go on your cereal? I mean, do you pray for gas to go in the car? Yeah, we, we expand that category, right? But all these other categories, do we do the same thing? Do we spend any time like meditating on what it means to hallow God's name? That God's name would be honored as holy throughout the world, as holy in my life, as holy in the life of this church, as holy in our community, and holy in the world. And as we meditate on that, <clears throat> do we ever get to the point where we think, okay, if I want God's name to be hallowed, to be holy, honored as holy, then what does that mean when I'm baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? I have His name written on me, okay, and other people know it, then does that mean that I should, I should actually take that seriously and live in a certain manner and in a certain way so that when people see my life and the way I interact with others and the way I serve at work, do they see and recognize that God is a holy God, that Jesus Christ is a holy God, Okay, do we ever get down to that level? Or do we simply rattle off the words, hallowed be your name? And if we're just rattling off the words, ask yourself, why? Why is it? Is it because there's not enough trust in the relationship to take a whack at it and trust that God is actually going to be okay? that he's not going to be offended? Think about this story of uh, the friend 
at midnight, okay? A friend has another friend come to visit, and he's got nothing to feed him. Well, that in the Middle East, that was a bad deal, okay? So he goes to his other friend, middle of the night, okay? In those days, everyone was sleeping in the same room, small house, everyone in the same room. There's no way that a father could get up and get bread without, you know, waking the whole family. So it's really quite annoying to have this happen. So Jesus is telling this story, and he says, you know, the friend at midnight, well, he's going to get up because of your, our text says, because of the boldness of the one praying, all right? Um, sometimes that's translated because of the persistence of the one praying, as if, as if, you know, if we just say the request enough over and over and over again, that's the key to get God to listen. Now, it's funny because the Bible, I think, actually does sort of teach that about prayer, that there are times we need to be persistent and repetitive. But the Bible also teaches that you shouldn't think God's going to listen because you're praying so many words, right? So you have to know the difference. I don't think this particular text is teaching us we need to be repetitive. That word boldness, okay, in the Greek is really, the meaning really means shamelessness. It's because of his shamelessness that he prays. It's because of his rudeness, his insensitivity, his impudence. That's what the word means. He's annoying, and he knows he's annoying, and he's insensitive to anyone in the house. <clears throat> so what's Jesus telling us? Well, isn't this exactly what we're afraid of? That compared to Jesus' prayers... Compared to Jesus' prayers, our own prayers to God are going to seem crude and rude and insensitive, barbaric and clumsy and out of touch. And so we're safer just, just what? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We don't want to appear before God as if we're impudent. And Jesus is telling us here, look, he says, if, if human beings um, grant you your request when or even because it's rude, how much more do you think your heavenly Father is going to respond to your requests? How much more do you think your Father in heaven is going to do it? You see, Jesus puts everything in terms of relationship. You can only understand the dynamics of prayer when you're thinking in terms of relationship, when you're talking to your father, right? A father doesn't expect perfection, not with your first tee shot and not with your first prayer or your second prayer. Your father understands that words like kingdom and, and hallowed and you know, temptation, those are big words. They take some time to understand. They take some time to fill up. They take some context. But if a friend can listen to your shouts in the middle of the night, certainly your heavenly Father is going to hear your crude and bumbling requests. So pray, Jesus is saying. Your Father's listening. Pray. In fact, the Father can interpret re requests. It's amazing. If you ask for a fish... Jesus says he's not going to give you a snake. 
You know, the vice versa is that is also true. If you ask for a snake, he's not going to give you a snake. And who knows that better than anyone? Children know that better than anyone. Children ask for all sorts of things, but they are confident about one thing, that if it's not good for them, their parents aren't going to give it to them. They're not dismayed when they don't get what they want. I mean, sometimes they are, but deep in their hearts, they get it. Mom and Dad, they're not going to give me something that's not good for me. You see, when you think in terms of relationship, that's, that's the, only, the only time that prayer begins to make sense. Jesus says, when you ask, what the Father will give you is the Holy Spirit. And he says there are two reasons for that, <clears throat> two reasons why we might want the Holy Spirit, why underneath all of these requests, what we're asking for actually is the Holy Spirit. Okay, the first reason is this. If prayer is about relationship, who is it that teaches us that God is our Father? Where do you get that notion from? Who teaches us that? Well, it's the Holy Spirit, right? Romans chapter 8 um, says this. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, <clears throat> this is just a little bit different than what we talked about last week, okay? And I want to make sure we understand that. Last week we said that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, what's true for Jesus becomes true for us. And so if Jesus is God's son, then we too stand in that position of being sons and daughters of God. It's a question of status. Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross, moves us into the status of being children of God. What Romans 8 here is saying is something just a little bit more than that. It's, it's tweaking that a little bit. Let's say a father and son are walking down the street together, right? You see them walking down the street. The father knows that he's the father. The son knows that he's a son. All of a sudden, you watch, and that father picks up the little boy and gives him a hug and plants a kiss on him. Now, let me ask you, has any new information been passed there? Has there been any, any change in, in that child's status or the, the father's status? No. I mean, the father is still the father. The son is still the son. But what's happened is that relationship has been extraordinarily affirmed, right? I mean, it's been confirmed, it's been reassured, it's been bolstered. What once was just objective truth now is subjective truth. Yes, yes, I am a father, or yes, I am a son, but now, what have I just been given? The Holy Spirit makes us feel the relationship. The Holy Spirit assures us that God is our Father. And Jesus says, that's what you need, okay? So that even when you get something that feels like a snake, when you ask for a fish, you need to know deep inside your heart and soul that God is indeed my Father. And he would never give me anything not right for me. 
That's what we need, right? Chances are, friends, you're going to pray for a whole lot of stuff and you're only going to get a very small amount of it because it's the wrong stuff that we're asking for. But what we need to know is why we didn't get it. And that's because God is our Father and He's not going to give us anything that's not good for us. Okay, the second thing, we're almost done. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does and why we want the Holy Spirit as, as the, you know, the gift of our prayers is that the Holy Spirit also teaches us the character of God. Someone's got to do that. Right? Instinctive prayer. Shooting up the flare up into heaven. That's based on just a very small understanding of who God really is. Right? Mistaken identity prayer. That's the prayer that God runs a 7-Eleven down the street. Right? And he's just a way to get more things, to procure more goods. Just keep asking and, you know, he'll pour it your way. It's not until we know more about God. It's not until we know more about the gospel that we can begin to understand everything that God has already done for us. And it's only then that we can begin to sense how big God is. It's only then that we can begin to praise Him for what He's done and confess for what we've done wrong. You know, Christian Smith um, did a couple of, of huge studies back in the, it was between 2005 and 2010. He studied teenagers and then he studied emerging adults. And what he found is that within this group of people in this country, okay, these people pray like crazy. They pray all the time. They pray on a daily basis, they report. Although what he found is that what they pray for is themselves. They pray for God to help them with their problems and they pray for them themselves to feel better and to be happier. They rarely, rarely, rarely ever pray a prayer of praise or a prayer of confession. Why is that? It's because if no one is teaching us about God and about who He is, we fill in the blanks for ourselves. We create our own God. And we have in this country created a God who is here to help us be happy. And so that's what we pray for. But the Holy Spirit is a gift who actually teaches us who God is, what God is like, what God has done for us. When we come to know that God, our prayers change, they evolve. We're learning more about God and our answering God changes, doesn't it? All of a sudden we begin to praise God for why He would act on my behalf when I did nothing to deserve it. My prayers might actually include some confession. Lord, you are holy, and I am not. And I have sinned against your name, and I need to change. Help me. The more we understand about God, the more we can pray, hallowed be your name. The more we can pray, your kingdom come. And we know something about the kingdom of God. 
Let me just conclude with a, you know, a little story about prayer. You've probably heard it before. There's a woman who's uh, <clears throat> downtown. She doesn't have much time. She's kind of, well, she's in a real hurry. She's got a, an appointment, and she can't find a parking spot. So she's going around the block, and she prays, God, just give me a parking spot. If you give me a parking spot, I'll do anything you want. I'll read the Bible more. I'll pray more. I'll be nicer to my kids. She rounds the corner, sees a car pulling out, says, never mind, God, I found one. That's <laughs> what a lot of us think of prayer <clears throat> because that's what a lot of us think of God. Let me just put a little different context to that same prayer, okay? Let's say that this woman is a volunteer for Safe Families, and she's a family friend. And the mom that she's been working with doesn't have a car, so she doesn't have very good access to any of the social services in town, but she really needs more money on her food card, etc., etc. And so this family friend volunteers to run downtown and to find out what she can find out, to do the legwork for her friend, for this mom. And she's got kids at school that have to be picked up, and so she's in kind of a rush. She's got to get there. <clears throat> and as she's going around the block, she prays for a parking spot. Lord, just give me a parking spot. It's already a different prayer, isn't it? Because it's in prayer, it's a prayer in service to God and to his kingdom. And, and what happens when she rounds the block and there's no parking spot there? She offers a little prayer of thanksgiving that, that her kids, they understand what this safe families thing is all about. <clears throat> they understand what her mom is doing and so they can be a little more patient. And she thanks God for children who get it. And then she goes around the block again and, and there is a parking spot. And she says, thank you, God. Because there's nothing I can do for you, but you just do everything for me. Like you've done everything for me in Christ. You see, prayer is about relationship. It's about turning to your Father in heaven and knowing that he wants to hear what you have to say. And he's always going to do what's best for you and for his people. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we're just going to say it outright. We want your Holy Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit to teach us about you. Teach us what you love. Teach us about your kingdom and your justice and your righteousness. And we need your Spirit to assure us <clears throat> that we've got your listening ear. That in Jesus Christ you are our Father and that uh, he loves us.
He really does. Grant us your Holy Spirit, Lord. It's for your Spirit we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.